para Kadekikapan. Hello and welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chapin. I'm Caleb Shively, the host. Yeah, I mean, I only said I was one of the hosts, so there's no need to like big dog me like that. Ooh, we're, uh, isn't that a clothing brand line, Big Dog? It is, yeah. Big Dog, Big Johnson. This was all like... I've tried to explain those to Catherine, my wife, who grew up in New Zealand Big and Johnson. not America. And about one second into describing it, I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> Just, it's not important. If you weren't there, like, good. I'm glad you don't know about it. Um, there, I have no proof or follow-ups behind this, but I think they're very, I just assume they're very conservative clothes. Like, a conservative Republican would wear like those. Like, you couldn't An see adult. Your, you couldn't see your tits if you were wearing it. Well, it's a boy's clothes, so... Boys, so, don't, yes, boys yeah. don't have tits. They just have chests. Oh, that's very gender normative, Caleb. That's I know very it sucks. Gender normative. Um, I know the world sucks. Yeah, the wor- funny thing was I found myself trying to think of like an example of the kind of dick joke that a big John- Johnson shirt would have that I felt comfortable saying to my sophisticated, mm-hmm. intelligent wife. And I was like, nope, I tap out. I have no interest in doing this. Um, you know? Big Johnson is the dick joke itself. If you can't run with the big dogs, stay on the porch. Is oh, that sure. the kind of thing they would say on a yeah. big dog's shirt? Probably. Yeah. We should explain what the show is before. Yeah, so uh, every uh, other week on Actually Best Choice Movies, we talk about two movies, uh, but hopefully both good movies. One of them's a brand new movie. One of them's an older movie that is related to it in some way. This week, we are talking about two movies who have a very obvious connection on one level and, you know, maybe a more subtle uh, connection on a different level. It's uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just came out this year. And then Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West that came out in 1969, the year that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is set there's a lot of other stuff and we'll be getting into it during the show mm-hmm. uh, that's all this week on actually best choice movies but before we get to any of that uh caleb what have you been watching this week cowboy uh movies <laughs> well, i should have known uh, well we do have a lot to talk about so i'll just make it quick i watched two kidnapping movies didn't plan it uh Almodovar's tie me up tie me down great interesting I have, not, I have actually not seen so that good one. I love Alma Dovar. I've seen almost all of his other movies, yeah. but not that one. John Criterion channel right now. Check that out. Oh, I should. And actually. I also watched a Korean movie from Jang Jun Hwan. Uh, it's from 2003. It's called Save the Green Planet. This movie's crazy. Is this like a crazy horror movie? No. It's so many genres. There's horror aspects to it. There's comedy aspects. It's a Korean movie, like Boon Jung Hoo's uh, hmm. All His Over or uh, Park Chan Wook's movies. Mm-hmm. Sang Hoo's. All, all Korean, South Korean directors just have this ability to throw genres and it works in the movies. But this movie is about a guy uh, kidnaps a pharmaceutical executive executive because he thinks he's an alien. And so it's just like torturing him for like half the movie. Uh, And it's, yeah, there's so many weird twists. It's really, really (laughs) weird. Uh, I really... Enjoyed it, though. Uh, but another movie I watched, which I mentioned to you last night, uh, it came out this year. It's called Serenity. It stars Matthew McConaughey oh, right. yes, and Anne Hathaway. You may have heard of it, and it has this reputation of being nuts 
and it is bad, man. It is wonderfully bad. As uh, I said to Caleb last night, it was on how did this get made. So like, yeah. I feel like I can't even start it, talking about it because how how could I compete? How I, could I compete? I with? kept hearing how like weird it was, uh, and so it got added to Amazon this week. And yeah, it is incoherent. It is way over the top. It's so dramatic in ways that like, why are they doing this? And it has a huge twist, which I don't know if we want to reveal I don't here. Care. But it's it, like that's this is the whole thing of the movie. Well, it's got this the thing in crazy the twist. Twist is uh, in the movie is that they heavy handy hand it. As it, as it comes out. Uh, and heavy then, handy, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. And then they just basically say it very point blank. So it's like, oh, wait, there's no dramatic. Oh, this is not really. You're just stating what I thought was going on anyway. Thank you. Uh, so it's not good, but it's Matthew Gonaghy doing a little bit of Nicolas Cage, just doing like pouring himself. And Anne Hathaway, too. She's pretty good in this movie. Just pouring themselves for into a shitty movie. <laughs> <laughs> Some weird stuff going on right now. This whole island's a part of it, but nobody knows it. Kind of works if you're into uh, laughing at things. I don't I mean, know. It's which interesting. I'm sure you are. Yeah. I mean, so did did you enjoy watching it? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I did enjoy saying what a lot. The twist in it is just so dumb that it. Bravo to that. <laughs> The pedigree behind it is how uh, how did this get made? It is to answer that podcast's mm-hmm. title question, which uh, they uh, never do. I mean, uh, right. sometimes directors have good wills. This is uh, directed and written by Stephen Knight, uh, who previously wrote uh, Eastern Promises, which is a great movie. He uh, Oscar nominated for writing Dirty Pretty Things, another good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his last movie, which I thought was o- overrated too, uh, was also a high premise. It was that movie Lock, where Tom Hardy is just in a car the entire time. Oh, I, I have no idea what this is. Yeah, it's called, Tom, wait, it's a movie called Locke. L-O-C-K-E. His last and, name's Locke. Yeah. And he is, at the same time, locked inside of a car? No, he's just driving oh, okay. to somewhere. All right. Uh, yeah, but, it's very boring movie. Uh, I, I thought this was going to be something like Phone Booth, no. where you know the title is the thing that is happening no. <laughs> the entire time. No, it's too close. It, Thinks it's too clever for that. But also, uh, looking at Stephen Knight, he also is uh, a co-creator of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. That's very weird. So if the guy who co-created Who Wants to Be a Millionaire gets to ask you to be in a movie, you go for it. Huh. Dude is all over the place. And then he made a movie uh, where Matthew McConaughey... Uh, the plot is he's trying to catch a fish. Isn't uh, the fish called like destiny or something? Uh, justice. justice. He's trying to seek right. out justice. He's trying to catch the fish called justice. And then we find justice. out that there's justice. Slippery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hard to find. It is a movie. Let me tell you that. Uh, Jason Clark is in it though. I don't know. He's not that good in it. Who's good in that movie? Well, I get, you just said Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. They're like yeah. good in the sense that they, I mean, they've clearly done better stuff, but they're a behold to watch. Is there anyone? Oh, oh, I'm, the, I'm sorry, Caleb. They're a behold to watch. What yes. does that mean? What does that mean exactly? To behold, a behold, to, uh, the verb behold, but the action of. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're saying they got, you heard them do their marriage vows and they said to have and to hold. Is that what you were trying to say? No, they're not married. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can I just quickly, before we move on mm-hmm. to the movies, which I do want to do, um, I did remember a movie I watched and it was a movie I watched because of you saying oh. you enjoyed it. And it, it's also something that was recently added to Amazon. That's uh, under the silver mm-hmm. lake, which I watched. Um, and I remember watching it and the, like the entire time I was watching it, I was thinking, what the fuck was Caleb talking about this whole time? Like, I'm going to talk about a movie I absolutely love. 
I because I feel, I feel like your read of that movie was extremely charitable. It was like very very. Oh, I charitable. love that movie. But I feel like you're projecting into it like a lot of stuff that isn't there, like because it's it just seemed to me to be a movie made by a L.A. scene guy with all of his L.A. scene friends that has like a bunch of tits in it, and I I didn't even see the thing you kept saying about how the movie like doesn't really like the main character. I mean, he's kind of like he bumbling. yells at homeless people. Uh, ki- I'm not saying he's a good guy, but I'm I, I'm saying the way you're saying the movie is designed to be like don't like this guy. I, I don't know if... He I don't beats know a child true. up in that movie. Yeah, and he gets sprayed by a skunk. I mean, right, he has all sorts of things happen to him, but I feel like that doesn't mean that, like, the movie wants you to hate him, you know? I think it does. <laughs> and I've also, also there's, read they interviews so with time, the director where he talks so about this. They spend so much time, like, uh, going to these, like, Hollywood parties that are not fun or interesting in real life, and I feel like they spend a lot of time trying to make them look fun and interesting. Uh, so I thought like it was glamorized a lifestyle that I don't think is particularly cool. Uh, and was I don't made think the by... director thought it was cool. You know, Caleb, the artist is dead. The author is dead. It, you know, what matters is the way it's interpreted by the audience. And I feel like it's very easy to watch that. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's just, there's so many weird choices in it. Like Hell the yeah. whole first half of the movie, women have their tits out the entire time. And no, I don't really true. know why, you know? Well, he's watching the woman on the other balcony with her yeah. tits out. Then he's staring at the woman uh, in the on the at the pool the in a lady, bikini. Yeah. Then his girlfriend comes over dressed like a slutty nurse, and then they're having home. sex the entire time they're watching the local news. And then the following scene, she has her tits out the entire scene. Yeah, this is also established that he's not a good guy. I mean, I'm sorry, a good guy can have sex with someone. Like it doesn't make him not he's a good guy to have sex people. with someone. Uh, he's lurking on them. It's. Uh, he also, uh, they don't state that nurse girlfriend's name at all. It's just, uh, she's credited as actress in that movie. Well, that what, what does that have to do with him? I mean, you uh, could there's go... There's all the, the whole credits. Like, this whole movie is designed to be like, oh, wait. Uh, all these, like you said, there's a bunch of weird choices. Uh, those are designed to be like, oh, when you think about it and put them all together, it's just like, oh, yeah, he's just a kind of a shitty dude. But that doesn't, I mean, you can have a, I mean, how often do you say the, your wife's name while you're hanging out? I mean, that's not, that's a... I know. I, I'm just what I'm saying. Like all the all the characters. If you look at all, like there's only like maybe four or five named characters, and there's a sprawling movie. There's probably upwards to like fifty characters. They only name like four. Everyone he meets wants to have sex with him. He spent like ev- everywhere he goes is full of beautiful women and who throw themselves poorly, at him. Yeah. But I'm saying like no matter how he treats them, if you're making a movie where the main character is a guy, he spends forever looking at tits, and every woman he meets wants to fuck him. To be like, oh, the movie wants you to think this behavior is negative. Like, I feel like you're... I mean, okay, I if you've read your interviews where the director said that, fine. But it's very easy to just see it as a, like, male fantasy fulfillment movie. Um, But that's, like, just a certain aspect of it. And you're latching onto. There's so much more. I think the biggest thing that he does is look for these signs and just project on these signs that like and then he's that, right everything I know, he says is I, right i know it's kind of a, a, the cosmic so joke about it too so the main character is a guy who is, meets beautiful women everywhere who want to fuck him he's the only one in the world who can see the hidden codes that are everywhere around us and he finds the solution to these things mm-hmm. and you're saying this proves that he's bad uh no i'm saying that <laughs> he's super intelligent no no, no. what i'm saying is no I'm, no I'm saying no that's not what i'm saying i'm saying the fact that he punches a child the fact that he uh, says I hate homeless people and talks uh, uh, treats women poorly and uh, that makes him a bad guy. Okay, he picks on people weaker than them. 
I mean, you could also just say like that's cool stuff that you know you put into yeah, a like movie we, that I, when, show, I, when we talked like, about this before, it was like yeah, it's like old Gumshoe, uh, like he's a newer character, uh, but they kind of amp up that he is like just that creepy. Oh, he's not. It's not okay to be like this. I think it's a light dusting of antihero like pepper on top of a sandwich that you are supposed to want to eat. You know, it's like yeah, it's a little spicy right but it's not gonna make you throw it in the trash you know it's like kind of cool that there's some parts of it that are a little hard to swallow you know uh the whole time he's supposed to be like trying to like actually not be homeless he's basically and trying to stave off homelessness the whole time (laughs) i mean i can see that this is a sore spot for you it was just not a sore spot i'm just saying you're i'm surprised that you read it this way i mean i was ready to love it you know i i turned it on after having talked to you and still my favorite movie this year about it i was like very interested in watching it and i very much disagree with your take on it and i disagree with your and and that's going a long way because the director went to florida state he's a fellow florida state guy you know like i'm rooting for his success um but his name is david robert mitchell yes he went to florida state film school um and but i was like no this is not cool uh yeah it's a very polarizing movie um i i do want to rewatch it. i've been meaning to rewatch it. i almost rewatched it but i said i watched orange is the new black instead uh do i regret that um <laughs> uh but i think yeah it is I'm sorry. It, yeah, we're just going to disagree. We're going to agree to disagree, but I think it's the best movie of the year. Wow. Um, okay. Having said that, let's move on. This week's first movie is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, the killing. A lot of killing. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the ninth or tenth or eighth or thirteenth movie from Quentin Tarantino, depending on how you count and what you count. Um, and it's being hailed as his most mature film to date. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but I'll tell you, it uh, drops you, the viewer, into 1969 Hollywood, which is as fully formed and faithfully recreated as any period film has ever recreated any time in history, I would say, up to a point. The film is mostly concerned with getting the viewer, uh, you know, you and me, uh, getting to know and getting to like two characters. Uh, it's down on his luck actor Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his one-time stuntman and now, you know, lightly compensated employee and best friend Cliff Booth, Brad Pitt. Uh, we spend most of the movie watching these guys hang out, watch TV, try to get work, remember some dumb stuff that they did or, you know, allegedly did, and uh, figure out where they fit into a world that's changing all the time, right? Uh, and at the same time, there's a kind of parallel story going on following uh, Dalton's next-door neighbor, uh, Sharon Tate, who was a real person in history. Uh, it's played by Margot Robbie. We uh, follow her around basically on a typical, typical couple of charmed days that you might have if you were an up-and-coming female star. She's, like, buying lavish gifts for her movie director husband, going to parties, watching her new terrible movie in disguise in a theater full of people who love it, no matter how bad it is. 
and you know she loves them loving it it's you know beautiful um the last third or so of the movie there's kind of a shift in tone there's a some narration comes in that we haven't had much of up to then and the movie maybe becomes a bit more of what you expect when you buy a ticket for a tarantino movie uh and they start firing the Chekhov's guns that they've been putting up on big racks throughout the whole movie uh once upon a time in hollywood uh i liked it a lot caleb what did you think about this movie oh um it's very uh, Tarantino. It's him in his art house wheelhouse, um, but also he's the only director who can make this epic of a movie, like two, hiring two of the biggest stars of the past 30 years uh, and making this detailed of a movie. Like, no, who's going to fund that? Only Quentin can get that done. Uh, in essence, this is a movie about fiction in, ge- in general. Uh, Quentin is a great writer, Oscar-winning uh, screenwriter. All his movies are very dialogue-heavy. Uh, he puts fictional characters in a real-world setting. Uh, so, yeah, it just draws the attention to the artifice of it all, and that's where Quentin can just uh, sandbox it. He's having fun here. Like, Quentin Tarantino is known for many things but one of them is uh always paying tribute or referencing uh things he loves like uh like having conversations about art where i feel feel like in this movie uh since it was set in 1969 he was just like oh cool i'm just gonna like have him live instead of like kind of ham-fistedly talking about things they just are there in the background like he was having a blast making this movie, I felt like, yeah. as watching this. Yeah, one of the things that struck me maybe about halfway through the movie is uh, for as much as Quentin's whole you know output as a director and as a writer are in dialogue with earlier films and earlier forms of media... Uh, you know, right down to the fact that, like, a couple of his most recent movies, Inglorious Bastards and uh, Django Unchained, are, like, kind of, you know, recreations of earlier types of sure, films. Sure, sure, sure. Um, it's his, correct me if I'm wrong, this is his first movie specifically about making movies. Yeah, crazy. Which is really interesting. You'd think he would have gotten to that mm-hmm. so much. I mean, we talked about Barton Fink. What was that? That was, like, the third Coen Brothers movie, and it was about making movies, sure. you know? Um, most people who are this kind of, make this kind of discursive film get to it so much earlier in their career so it it was fascinating to see that like oh wow like this is the first time he's ever done this uh and it's not i would and it doesn't feel like someone who's run out of ideas so now they're making a movie about making movies it feels like a very creative original and and it's like a a take on making movies you haven't seen before i would say uh it's also uh more about tv shows too i mean movies is definitely a huge part of it because sharon tate and he does go to let's say more about hollywood if anything uh and this is a thing that quentin loves he he has a deep respect for actors and this movie is about uh an actor's struggle like uh like how they work how they their percept like how an actor even perceives themselves or have their own sense of celebrity uh, like we see Sharon Tate, uh, that's what I think he handles the Sharon Tate stuff beautifully. Like we see her go to a theater, and like that's me on there. Like, and talking. it is like the real Sharon Tate they're watching. Yeah, which, which is, is very a sweet. nice, yeah. nice little touch. Yeah, uh, he's yeah he's he knows he's known for like career revitalizing. Like he did it for Travolta. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Travolta was in the Look Who's Talking, did three Look Who's Talking yeah, movies, right. and Quinn was like, "No, I'll save you." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, like Rick Dalton is a tragic character. Like uh, I think one of my favorite bits is him talking about like how he was almost in the Dirty Dozen. Was it? No, he was, the Great uh, Escape. Great Escape. Great Escape. He's doing the Queen role in Great Escape. Well, so uh, here's a question for you. Wait, just to get a, speaking about that. Do you think that 
weird the audience is supposed to think that because he's saying I almost I almost I'd never even got a meeting, but I was on the list of people. And at the same time, we're seeing him in the film. Yeah. So is that him imagining himself in the film or was he, were he supposed to think he, yeah, got, I didn't, he had the part and he got fired? I thought it was funny. Yeah. I, I think it was him getting fired. Yeah. That's what I thought too. Cause it's weird. Cause it's like, but then I wasn't sure. Feel, it I wasn't was sure. basically him in that movie, which is kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, it's weird because like McQueen was also like had that same career trajectory as Rick Dalton. Like yeah, he, was he was in a TV Western, TV, show, TV yeah. Western, and then lots of people. Got I mean, up, yeah. Burt Reynolds also kind of had a yeah. trajectory like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, that was my favorite little bit was him doing that talk about, and then he could have had this whole different career. It's like on the verge of tears, yeah. talking about this, like how mm-hmm. he almost had the lead in The Great Escape. Oh yeah, um, uh, and uh, I could just talk about how good Leo is in this movie now too. I mean, Leo's uh, so so good. I mean. A little subdued, not the bigger showier role, but he does bring big showy parts to it. And he has uh, little little choices, like when Rick is uh, not in character, and when he's talking to somebody who has some power over his career, he has a stutter, you know, that kind of oh, comes yeah, out of yeah. nowhere. And then he, but he seems very nervous and unsure of himself mm-hmm. because that is how he is. Yeah, he's um, a man holding on to his youth. He still gets way too drunk for a man his oh age. Gosh. Yeah, he has this scene where he says he had eight whiskey sours <laughs> the night before his big like guest star, <laughs> which is like nuts. Um, no, he's so good. He's he's extremely good in it because he's kind of playing like kind of a broken person, but someone who's trying their best to like oh, yeah. keep it going. You know, he's trying to fucking keep I it together feel like so hard. He was a little bit of a t- uh, Tarantino surrogate as most probably characters are in Tarantino movies. Uh, well, this in particular, because uh, Tarantino, who was once the very much it in demand, a director now uh, talking about an end of a career as he approaches his, he says he's going to do 10 movies. We'll see. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's like maybe him looking inward a little bit and like seeing like, how is he going to be remembered as himself? And I would even say that probably does extend to uh, Cliff Booth, the Brad Pitt character. I mean, who, the, when we talk about great performances. Yeah. Who, I- Pure movie star in this movie. I mean, he's just like all charisma. I mean, he people talk a lot about uh, Mark. You know, Margot Robbie didn't have very many lines, and we can get into the various controversies around this movie later on. But like, in a certain sense, like Brad Pitt doesn't have that much to say either. He does a lot of like looking off into the distance, and you know, looking yeah. like very compelling and movie starish, and then saying like one really cutting sentence, you know, and then a lot of shit happens around <laughs> him, you know. Um, I mean, the sequence where he's up on the roof fixing the antenna is like one of those classic sequences. He's just standing there with his shirt up. You can see all of his scars. Mm-hmm. You know, he's staring off into the distance and he's remembering having work as a stuntman, whereas now he's like having to fix a fucking TV antenna, you know, in his jean shorts. And that's like the most work that he we see him do the whole movie. You know, like <laughs> he doesn't get any work the whole movie, I don't think. Right. Uh, he does. He's the... um. When they go to Italy, he's the stuntman. Oh, okay. That's right. They, that's there's right. a part where they show a car and they show an arrow. Cliff. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But other, that's it. That's it for the yeah. whole movie. Yeah. Which is pretty rough. Besides his work as uh, Rick's gopher. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, driving his car and not picking up chicks. Because Rick was yeah. too drunk to, or because yeah. he got too many DUIs and yeah. he can't drive anymore. <laughs> um, one thing before we sort of get into the various things that people are mad about about this movie. Um what I think is, so I was talking a minute ago about how Sharon Tate, uh, Margot Robbie is watching herself in this movie. And it's like obviously a terrible movie. And a lot of the TV shows and stuff that we see that Rick is in and stuff are 
obviously not quality television. I mean, these are the days before television was like in the 50s and early 60s. You know, yeah. good, quote unquote. Even though if you go back and look, honestly, a lot of shows from the 50s especially are great because they basically were letting them do filmed plays. And, you know, depending on the actor and the director, it could be great mm-hmm. or it could be a sack of shit. They right? did reference a TV show from the 50s. I like that uh, at the opening uh, after he interviews uh, Rick and Cliff. He says, next week we're going to interview... Uh, the people from the Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> so, but I wanted to ask you, like, there's a certain vibe in this movie that it's celebrating film and TV, like, regardless of its quality. Like, regardless of what you might say about oh. whether it's good or bad, it's just, it's celebrating just, like, the idea of making something. Yeah, Do the, you know what I mean? The uh, art. It's the... Ce- well, not the, not the art, because it's saying, like, uh, you know, I guess it's saying, like, there's art going into it, even if the end product is kind of mm-hmm. crap. You know, it's like there's still a bunch of professionals there yeah. doing their absolute best every second of every day to make something good. And, like, people taking their job seriously, even if it's like a little cheesy or yeah. something, like, it's. It, it's still valuable and people like it. Like that's the scene of Sharon Tate, you know, watching herself on screen. Oh, yeah. It's like people rolling in the aisles, laughing at something that's obviously sucks, but it's like, does that matter? Does any of this matter? Isn't what matters like that you're entertaining someone. Isn't that the point of, you know, the, a certain kind of media is entertaining people. And like, that's what this sort of era of Hollywood was great at was entertaining people. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. It was, they call it the golden age. Uh, it was just like, oh, uh, we can just throw shit out there and see what sticks because things are going to make money because everyone loves this stuff. And let's have fun, everyone. And uh... it was very interesting. And, and to be frank with you, it really inspired me. You know, I have a couple, I have like an idea for a TV pilot I've been kicking around. Oh, really? Not like super Ooh. original, but it did inspire me to think like, you know, I think it would entertain people and I think it would be good and I should just fucking do it. I sure. should just work on it, you know? Um, it's because it's easy to get in your head about what's the value and what's the, you know, artistic merit of this idea that I have, but like just fucking do it, you know, just do it. Just make a thing. I think that, I think it's, I think that the movie has a message somewhere in one of its hundred messages is, is that, and I, I think it's great. You know, like I said, this, uh, the process of acting is very much celebrated. There's a scene stealer. Uh, her oh, name is yeah. Julia Butters. She's so great. She's a method acting. Uh, she's a, a child. She's, she's a child. actress, like yeah. a nine year old actress. Uh, and she's uh, there to like act as a polar opposite to Rick Dalton as she's like taking her job very seriously and talking about the craft of acting. Yeah, I guess she just like straight up says all these things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, and it's so funny because she is, they have this really long scene, which is really touching. And she's obviously extremely intelligent and articulate and takes her job as an actress very seriously. And then there's this great scene with uh, Rick. It's like we're watching a scene from the show, but it's, you know, being filmed. And yeah, then she, like, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, afterwards, she whispers in his ear, that's the best acting mm-hmm. I've ever seen. And I almost cried, Caleb. I really teared up. And then you're like, this is a nine-year-old girl. Like, how much acting has, has she seen? <laughs> you know, but it like it was so meaningful. Mm-hmm. It, it really touched me. I found it really touching. Uh, what speaks to uh, how funny this movie actually is, uh, it's, what, it's probably is like straight up just like funniest movie. Uh, like you said, it's like a different Tarantino movie. It's more shaggier. Uh, less narrative. Yeah, people compare it to Jackie Brown a lot because it's just kind of well, Jackie hanging Brown out with actually characters. had a plot. Yeah, there's true. Uh, I like yeah, Jackie a, Brown. A hangout movie. Yeah. Jackie Brown just got added to Netflix. Interesting. Um, <laughs> what was I gonna say? Um, I really like that on he's doing the show uh, Lancer. Timothy, a real starring, show. Yeah, t- yeah, starring Timothy Oliphant. Anyway. Not uh, only was Lancer a real show, but the character Timothy Oliphant plays Timothy Oliphant. Uh, we see him riding off on a motorcycle. That guy 
the star of Lancer, famously had a terrible motorcycle accident several years Dope. after this, where he lost both his left arm and left leg. Another little thing Tarantino does. To... And then he went on to make a, like a TV movie where he played like a disabled Vietnam veteran and won an Emmy for it. Wow. Um, yeah. And then also, I, I, I think I, you, we were talking about this, like the spot that he does in FBI. It was actually a part that. Burke oh yeah. We said uh, someone tweeted this out. Yeah. The real scene, uh, FBI scene. And it turns out the, uh, the Leo superimposed over, not superimposed over, but the real person in that FBI scene in real life, our world was Burt Reynolds. <laughs> and it was like, there's they do this scene in the movie and it has people getting like shot in the face with shotguns and you're kind of like oh yeah this is like Tarantino's version of 1969 TV no it is exactly the way it appeared on oh, television yeah, exactly. in 1969 everything everything every move everyone makes every camera every angle is exactly the same yeah. as it was in this episode of FBI from 1969 <laughs> uh, probably my favorite scene in the movie is when they're watching uh, Rick's scene in FBI and it's just them going whoa man <laughs> he's good like jump. oh yeah clean jump looking uh, strong <laughs> oh you like this uh, gum chewing that I did yeah good choice good oh, this, choice this guy was a prick just like them I would love to hear the DVD just commentary just like drinking beer and you know that, yeah. eating uh, pizza but what I was going to say about uh, Lancer the show on in the movie <laughs> was that uh, when they uh, show it it's filmed like a Tarantino movie. It's filmed like an actual movie. It's not like you don't see the artifice of the cameras or anything. Uh, it kind of like blurs like, oh, this is really meaningful to Rick. So like mm -hmm. this is a point of his life where he's like, can't, he's not much separating the art from his reality. Uh, only times it breaks is when he like forgets lines. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's basically like you're thinking because you're watching this scene. You know, they're filming this scene for a TV show. And you're, I at least, am trying to do the math of like, okay, are we watching them filming this? Or is this like already completed somehow? And they're going along so perfectly that it's very hard to tell. And then Rick just goes, uh, line? And someone shouts his line at him. And then he does that like two or three times. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, so it's like kind of a mix. Because it was like, you're not seeing the show as it would have appeared on TV. But you're also not, you know, not watching it perfectly executed yeah. in a certain sense. You know, it's a little bit hazy. Uh, a little sneaking, a little surreal there, Quentin. But I will say, there's not a lot of like ostentatious shots. You know, the only the only shot that people usually call out in reviews as being like a big kind of showpiece shot is where we see um, when Brad Pitt lives in a trailer behind a drive-in movie theater, and Living they do this the movies, crazy yeah. crane shot up like over the screen, and then like back to behind the trailer. But yeah. other than that, there's like no Just showy camera good, moves, competent I would say. Film work. Uh, he shows detail. Uh, he has a dog, plops down dog food. They always show dog, that. Yeah. Every time he, they show the dog food plopping down. I love that it's they so did gross. that. It's Very so gross. Very gross. As a person who has to deal with dog food a lot, and it's, it's all that like, gross. like squirrel flavored or like raccoon oh, flavored. Oh yeah, it's, it's very so funny. Gross. Wolf's tooth, I think it's called. For, yeah. me, for, for mean dogs. Good food for mean good dogs. Good food for mean dogs. Um, yeah. uh, the reason I bring it up is just to talk about Probably the best performance in this movie. Uh, without, yes. Award-winning yes. performance, uh, Brandy the dog. So far, I would say, is it to date the only award-winning performance in the film? <laughs> yeah, to date. It's, the, <laughs> uh, it's, the far, uh, it's only been at Cannes, and it won at Cannes for the coveted Palm Dog. Palm Dog. Uh, which is, uh, if you didn't know, Palm, there is a offshoot uh, independent of... Uh, Cannes Film Festival of people who give awards to dog the best dog at movie dog at Cannes. performance right uh, yeah. past winners include uh, great really awesome performances uh, Lucy from Wendy and Lucy oh yeah uh, uh, 
I love I, I, I This is hilarious that they give a word to this. Uh, Doug from Up. <laughs> uh, an animated dog, an but animated still a dog, very yeah. good boy nonetheless. I mean, the dog is great mm-hmm. in that movie, yes. <laughs> uh, they also give out special prizes, uh, like... Uh, Last year, uh, Diamantino, a movie I watched, won. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got a special prize just because there's seeds where he, he's a great soccer player and he imagines himself being a great soccer player because he sees giant puppies in pink oh, clouds. <laughs> so that got an award. Oh, God, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, that's so funny. So, uh, Caleb, do you want to talk a little bit about the... Because you and I both like this movie a lot. Yes. And I, I think it's a fantastic movie. And I, I was actually just recommending it to my mother, who is in her oh, early yeah. 70s. I've been recommending it to... I was like, you should definitely see this. I think you would love it. People at my gym. Because it's, you know, the thing, a lot of times when it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, people assume that to mean it's hyper-violent. And I'm not going to say there's not violence in the movie. There certainly is. And I did, again, have to look away from the screen. But Aww. it's very short. It's very short. And it's not at all the, <laughs> what the movie's about, you know. Um, but there are lots of people who dislike this movie. There's lots of controversy around the movie. Do we want to talk about the controversies a little bit? Sure. Um, so I think first there's this whole thing because there's a sequence where uh, Cliff Booth beats up Bruce Lee. My hands are registered as lethal weapons. We get into a fight. I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. On one level, it's funny because we've spent 50 years hearing that Bruce Lee is the world's ultimate badass. And so to watch him, he doesn't, they sort of have a draw. They're doing like, you know, Bruce Lee. Two out of three. Yeah, Bruce Lee knocks down Cliff and then Cliff knocks down Bruce Lee and then the fight is over, you know. And, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, right? But people have spoken about it like as if cliff like wipes the floor with him which isn't what happens at all i mean he has like a fucking footprint of bruce lee's foot in the middle of his chest because bruce lee jump kicks him so hard um but then cliff does throw him into a car and like smash up the car which is pretty funny (laughs) but like this has been a point of contention people think it's racist the family of bruce lee has spoken out so they have a problem with it yeah so treat him as too it did uh stick in my craw that was like the only thing coming out of the theater that did like because uh, I, ha- I I revere Bruce Lee. Uh, I mean, as sure, a, every, everyone as does. A, uh, spe- especially as a uh, Asian male. Like, he was, like, he's the the thing we look up to. Like, in his life, he his biggest role probably in America after, before End of the Dragon was uh, the sidekick in, uh, what was it, Green Hornet? Yeah. Right. Uh, but Which he, is when he, they're supposed yeah, to be taking place. He's an absolutely legendary person. And... It was just the weird that it was a moment of comedy for this to happen. Like, he is, like, the coolest dude in history. Maybe I think what Quentin's going for, and I there's a great article I just read t- today for on uh, Vulture.com by Walter Cha that says, like, in this movie where we reimagine things for people like Sharon Tate, uh, we're breaking down the mythos of Bruce Lee a little bit yeah. in the sense that he is... Not this over-the-top figure. He actually is a human being, too. Right. Like, there, he does have two other scenes, and they're both just him training as and a nice guy. And he's great, and he seems like <laughs> mm-hmm. a super nice guy. And also, this is in uh, a memory of Cliff of Booth Cliff himself. Booth, right. So we don't know if yeah. that's exactly how it happened. It's Cliff's memory of how it happened. <laughs> it um, is a funny. It is a funny scene. It just feels like... I know, and Quentin does respect... We know Quentin well, loves Kung Fu movies. I mean, did you see fucking Kill Bill? Like, yes. the whole thing is, you know, she's wearing the, like, Inner the Dragon outfit for, like, half, Hanzo, half the movie. Yeah. 
Johnny um, Chiba's Hattori in that Hanzo, movie. right. Yeah. But uh, I mean, to me, it was the kind of thing like, I forget what this movie was called, but the movie where uh, with Tim Robbins and Meg Ryan, where Einstein is trying to be their matchmaker. What? Have you ever heard of this movie? Um, no. It's like set after World War II, and it's basically like there's goofy, silly Albert Einstein is trying to set up these two crazy kids to get married. Meg Ryan. You took Albert Einstein for a ride on a motorcycle? Tim Robbins. He loved it. He went, Wahoo! Wahoo? When was the last time you went, Wahoo? What? Yes. Yes, this is a real film. And I feel like it. it's in the vein of that, which is taking a very, very famous and revered historical figure and saying like, Mm, but what if it, they were a little different, you know? And I would say the second part of it is like this kind of very Hollywood, like everyone acknowledges this person is a badass. So we're going to have our main character, you know, beat them up to prove that they're even a bigger yeah. badass, which is kind of like, it's one of those Chekhov's guns that's loaded then for the later on mm-hmm. in the movie. They did need to establish Cliff as a strong, yeah, that, and what better way to do it than uh, beat the coolest person of that time. Um, yeah, exactly. There are, uh, so this fight between them instigates after uh, Bruce Lee's talking about how he would kick Cassius Clay's ass. Yeah. Uh, there actually is a real Bruce Lee quote about uh, Cassius Clay, and it was that Cassius Clay would beat him. Up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that movie gets that wrong. Um, That's funny. Uh, but what do we know about Bruce? What do I know about Bruce Lee? I don't want to speak for anyone. Uh, he was a cocky dude. (laughs) From everything I've read about him, he does seem to act like that. You can't be as Uh, talented and successful as he is and not be cocky, at least a little bit. I mean, especially if you're talented and successful in the field of beating people up, like it, you know, it does Uh, make you like get an ego a little bit, I'm sure, you know. Bruce Lee's played by Mike Moe. He did a very good job. I can't wait to see Mike Moe do more movies now. He did do a fantastic job, I thought. He did a great job. Uh, That scene also has uh, my favorite Quentin regular, uh, Zoe Bell, who did the uh, stunt choreography for all of uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah, and she famous. She was famously was on yeah. uh, the hood of a car in Death Proof. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she. It was. It's a nice little bit of meta stuff because she's like yelling at Cliff Booth, who's a stuntman, and she's a real life stuntman. But in the movie, yeah. she's not a stuntman. She's she married to. In this movie, she's her husband's played by Kurt Russell, who is stuntman. Who is Mike. A stuntman, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So it's this whole neat little thing of you know stunt people. Sure, sure. Uh, which is pretty fun. Uh, so then there's this controversy about Margot Robbie not having enough lines. I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. <laughs> so what I'll say about this is having read about this, uh... It came out at Cannes, too. At Cannes, right. It was just like a big line from Cannes. And I will say you'll notice a lot of, uh, to me, what I noticed was a lot of reviews of people who saw the movie at Cannes but didn't release them until it was widely available, the movie. Yeah, uh, he, he told people not to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. He said, I reject to... your premise. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, so I went into the movie expecting her to have a small part or, you know, because the thing was why use an actress like Margot Robbie and then not give her enough to do. You know, I would say she's the third lead of the movie. I mean, she has a huge amount to do. Maybe she doesn't have a lot of lines, but it's like, if you think acting is counting lines, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like, uh, yeah, it's the bread of the sandwich. Like the meat, the taste, we're getting flavor from Cliff and Rick the whole time. But the setting is so defined by what uh, she's doing this entire movie. Uh, like she plays a lot of music. Uh, she has this carefree spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say. Uh, the scene we talked about the scene where she goes to see her own movie. Uh, yeah. That's 
as far as a Tarantino movie goes, I don't think he's ever had that heartfelt it's the of sweetest, a scene in any... It's the sweetest scene ever yeah, filmed any by of his Tarantino. movies, that was the sweetest thing. It's like, she goes cute. to see her own movie. It's cute and nice, And you Kate know? Berlant's in it. Oh, yeah, Kate Berlant is in it, like, very made down. She's, like, made, as made down as possible. Um, yeah, uh, I thought that was weird, too. I mean, here we are, two guys telling you about this, but I will say my wife agreed with me. She mm-hmm. didn't think it was a... She and, thought, I mean, Margot Robbie's great in the film. She's great in the yeah. film. And the whole reason for putting her in this, and, like, as he uh, reimagines things as he does it's uh, to celebrate her life because uh, mostly when we talk about Sharon Tate in we talk about her death uh, yeah, which right. uh, sorry it's a horrible reminder but to remind you it was a terrible was death a terrible thing. She, she was, was eight stabbed months pregnant eight months pregnant and stabbed like over 20 times in her own home yeah this poor know? woman and we're seeing her being carefree and young and I guess we're spoiling the ending a little bit now. And we now. get to see one of her <laughs> films. You know, we get to see, which oh, yeah. I never in my life have I seen a, a Sharon Dean, Tate film. I haven't seen the Dean Martin movie. The Wrecking either. Crew. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Yeah, it was called it's The Wrecking It's like crew. a Dean Martin action comedy. <laughs> it looks so bad. It looks uh, so Dean bad. Martin was one of the uh, characters cut from this movie, too. Oh, really? There was like, a, I mean, this is, the th- I don't know too much about this, so I hesitate to bring it up and maybe we'll edit mm-hmm. it out. But weren't there a lot wasn't there a lot of shit that got cut out of this yeah, movie yeah Tim Roth was supposed to be in this movie uh, James Marsden was supposed to play Burt Reynolds oh uh, really yeah that's funny uh, but he did say recently uh, as as we all know The Hateful Eight on Netflix has a little extended portion and oh it's I like, didn't know yeah, that actually it's longer which is a long movie it's anyway. Long but he movie, announced yeah. recently that there he was going to put extra stuff on Netflix oh that's cool uh, so that is cool <laughs> <laughs> um and then, you know, okay, so the people have also objected to to the ending of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily want to give away what happens, but you know, this is part of a reportedly a trilogy of movies. Tarantino's interested in doing that sort of rewrite history, which started with Inglorious Bastards where they, you know, kill Hitler and then continues with this movie where, you know, if someone is maybe not killed who was killed in history and um I think I already spoiled it, but yeah. I don't know <laughs> what people's problem is with this exactly. Like, first of all, is this, have you like literally never been to a movie before? Because the idea that the good guys would win and the bad guys would mm-hmm. lose being like so offensive to you. It's like, welcome to all of filmed yeah. entertainment guys. Like, like I said, like, this you know, is a movie about fiction and he's allowed to play with his fictional movie. And you know, as if you don't know what really happened in real life and you're somehow worried that like, this is going to misinform children. Like, you know, that's the fucking job of, textbooks you know it's not the job of quentin tarantino to tell everyone what happened to sharon tate like uh and maybe the people are just idiots and just uh, bring their <laughs> own expectations like oh i'm going to see a sharon tate movie i think there was a sharon tate movie out earlier this year starring hillary duff and that's why you don't know about it yeah exactly because it wasn't interesting because right? it wasn't done by one of the great filmmakers of our time truly one of the great filmmakers truly truly one for of the all great. his problems uh, he and he is a very problematic person. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, right. There's a shot of feet in the movie. Fine, you know, uh, fine. Yeah, yeah, make fun of him, dude. Margaret Qualley, one of the great. In this, in this era where it's you know everyone is extremely sex positive, people are very okay with making fun of Quentin Tarantino for having a foot fetish. You know what He's I mean? He's okay like, with it too. I feel like now. I mean, he gets like a. There joke was so to much him, food. You know? so, as a person who also has a foot fetish, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, it's. And they show Margaret Qualley's feet, who's one of my favorite young actresses. She's great yeah. from The Leftovers, right? I know her from Novitiate. 
Oh, all right, fine, 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 whatever. <laughs> uh, she was also in that uh, Shane Black movie, The Good Guys. She was great in that movie. Oh, I didn't see that. That's a good movie. Oh no, I did see yeah. that. That's uh, with uh, what's his face, um, uh, Gosling and Crow. Crow. Uh, she was also in Margaret Qualley. I'm still talking about that perfume commercial that Spike Jones directed. <laughs> it's a really good commercial. I mean, Margaret Qualley is fantastic in this yeah, movie. She, she plays one movie, of the yeah. young uh, members of the Manson family, yeah. and Brad Pitt keeps seeing her around LA yeah. hitchhiking, and she's just very cute and fun, and yeah. spins around in circles like, and I know a her. Lot. I'm a big fan of her. Uh, and the whole time I was like, she's not 13, but is she 13? <laughs> <laughs> like, she just looks so young at this she movie. She looks really young. I mean, they do a lot to make her yeah. look young, you know. Uh, uh, I, like we talk about the casting because it's a sure, yeah. great casting movie. All his movies are really good casting. Uh, yes. Like I mentioned, Kate Berlant and Mike Moe, uh, the little girl, Julia Butters and Zoe Bell are great. Uh, Lena Dunham pops up in this movie. Yes, that's so <laughs> weird. I actually did pitch something to Vulture yesterday where I was like, interview uh, just let's interview Lena Dunham about how in the world this happened. <laughs> like, how is she in this fucking Quentin Tarantino movie? Um, just because like it was extremely random and I wonder if she's been bugging him at parties for 10 years or if he like got in touch with her out of nowhere you know <laughs> and thought it would be weird to have her in the movie for some reason there's like as this movie is about TV there's a lot of TV actors in it um, Steve McQueen's played by Damian Lewis who's on Billions Homeland sure and then Timothy Oliphant uh, is in it like, Timothy Oliphant playing a TV, TV yeah. actor um, playing a cowboy uh, the great uh, rest in peace Luke Perry just being a cool dude so good uh Luke Perry, uh, there's a little thing I, I, I read about Brad and Leo being starstruck about with, about Luke Perry, which I thought was the sweetest <laughs> oh my God, thing. That's so cute. It's like in the early 90s, who was the he coolest He was the Perry coolest guy in the fucking world. He, um, this is not a movie actor, but the director of the Lancer is apparently one of the children from The Sound of oh, Music. Yeah. yeah, I read that. Yeah, yeah. Just pretty weird. <laughs> I mean, he's great. I thought he was great. He should get more work. He did a fantastic <laughs> job. Um, and he looked really cool. He has like this giant head of white hair and they have him in this like white oh, yeah. suit and in like huge sunglasses. And he's like, but very, he's a very passionate and artistic TV director, you know, <laughs> and he does get a great performance he out of to uh, Rick Dalton. reinvent Rick Dalton. Yeah. Um, which apparently also in this episode of Lancer, like there was a real episode of Lancer with someone dressed exactly how Rick oh, Dalton dope. was. Yeah. It was a uh, Joe Don Baker. It was oh. the, actually the pilot of Lancer, which would have come out before 1969, <laughs> but you know, he's playing with time here, playing with time. Um, I w since we're talking about him and Lancer, I would like to point out that Leo's character he plays in Lancer is named Caleb. Oh, yes. Very <laughs> nice. Yeah. So there's a little good Halloween costume for me. Should we move on to the next film, Caleb? I uh, feel like we're still going to be talking about this movie yeah, when we talk about the next movie. Yeah, this is very true. We picked the next movie based on the first movie's name. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that's... And because, well, we can talk about it when we yeah. talk about the movie, but Rick Dalton goes to Italy at towards the end of the movie to star in Italian westerns of the type that our next oh, movie yeah. is. It's Once Upon a Time in the West, 1969. It was released in America, directed by Sergio Leone. You're doing my intro for me. <laughs> This is it. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's basically it. It's, uh, let's say... Uh, wait, 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 wait. We got oh. to pause so that we can... It's Once Upon a Time in the West. The Widow. The Land Grabber. The Outlaw. <laughs> the Gunman. Uh, okay, Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, let's say evil rail tycoon wants a piece of land where a world station will be built in the near future, so he sends his henchmen to take care of it. 
That henchman is played by Henry Fonda, who kills an entire family and pins it all on a scruffy-looking bandit who's played by Jason Robards. But he didn't kill that entire family because uh, the deceased landowner's wife, who was a former prostitute, comes back to town. Uh, All this is happening all the while Henry Fonda's past is also coming back to him in the form of uh, a mysterious harmonica-playing gunslinger played by Charles Bronson. It's a very young-looking Charles Bronson. Oh, boy, yeah. Uh, so this nearly three-long-hour spaghetti western is from Sergio Leone, uh, and it is aided epically by uh, legendary Ennio Morricone score. Did I say the Ennio name right? Ennio Morricone. Morricone. Yeah. I, I got to put the flavor on the thing. Ennio Morricone. Um, yeah, so this is... 1969, uh, westerns were coming a little bit out of vogue, not the heyday. So that's where spaghetti westerns started to come over. Uh, he Before this movie did the Dollars Trilogy, which I'm not going to remember. Fistful well, of Dollars, ugly, a few dollars yeah. more. And the good, yeah, good and bad. So I, I did remember them all. Yeah, okay, uh, good. Which are great movies. Uh, Fantastic movies. And uh, supposedly he wanted Clint Eastwood for this movie too. But... He wanted him for the Charles Bronson role. Exactly, yeah, yeah for the harmonica guy. Yeah, uh, But yeah, great movie. Uh once upon a time list, people, it's on a bunch of times best movie lists yeah, of all time. You know, AFI, extremely loves it. influential. Uh, cool little thing that I saw. The story is by two of three of the great. Oh, God, I know. Uh, I saw this Leone too. himself, uh, Dario Argent- Argento, and Bernardo Bertolucci. <laughs> I know. It's like I can just you know imagine being at that fucking dinner where the three of them are like getting mm-hmm. absolutely smashed in Italy in like 1967, yeah. <laughs> and just being like, and what if this happened? And what if this happened? And Argento's like, but then many people must be murdered. Put it, there and put it that there. Um, I'm sure so, it would fucking rule. So I'll admit I have a bit of a blind spot in general for of westerns. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've seen Deadwood. I've seen El Topo. <laughs> Those are not anything like westerns. But I, coming this movie, well, Deadwood is a western. I mean, that's yeah, a very influential it's a western. TV, yeah, yeah, show not influenced by more of this. But yeah, sure. in the fifties, I, I probably haven't seen many, if any, outside one or two. I have seen a bunch. Yeah, I've seen. I don't know. I'm not going to remember all of them off the sure, top of my head. No. But you know, Johnny Guitar, which is like sort of a one people like to talk about. Oh sure. And I've Imagine. seen uh, what's the one with Ricky Nelson? Uh, I forget what that's called. You know. High Noon, Tombstone. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, sometimes I, I turn on TCM uh, and I like, oh, this movie's cool. And I, I just keep watching it and then f- find out the movie's title later. I used later. to watch F Troop a lot when I was a little kid. <laughs> uh, and I have seen uh, the, good, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which I would say is a better movie than this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they say during uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that the way they made these spaghetti westerns was everybody speaks their own language and then you just dub all the language, all the dialogue afterwards. And I don't know if that's true, but I think it is true because... You can watch this movie and it's obvious some people are speaking English and it's obvious some people are not yeah, yeah, because yeah. their mouths don't match what they're saying at all. Sometimes it's a bit distracting. I mean, I will say generally like, so it was a fantastic movie and it was interesting to watch through the prism of like, you know, whatever, 50, 60 years later that we are now because it's obviously been so, so influential, like especially on Quentin Tarantino. Oh, sure. not, I wouldn't say like this movie particularly, not Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but like his earlier, but especially more violent movies. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way that Leone uh, squeezes every single sh- 
scene and every single shot for the maximum amount of tension. Oh, yeah. Like, you know from the second someone walks in that they're bad and they're going to do something bad, but he puts it off as long as oh, possible. Yeah. He, like, strings it out. He'll and, do a like, track shot around the room. Yeah. Get a bunch of people's reactions. I mean, the whole opening of this movie is people waiting at a train station oh, that movie for opening an is so extremely good. long time. I love that opening. It's Water what, like, dripping on their hats and it's a three-hour movie buzzing around them. It, it is a slog to get through, but the opening kind of like set the tone for me and like powered me through like the first maybe hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. Because that was so good. Uh, yeah. And you're just waiting and waiting. You're like, what is going to happen? <laughs> what is going to happen with these people? What are they doing? And then it's like all over in a second. Yeah. You know, it's all over in a second. <laughs> Um, and you can also, I mean, and in another way it's influential on Tarantino because the film has, and I, you know, I don't know enough film history to say this, but it's, it's an early instance of stunt casting because, uh, Henry Fonda was, had been a nice guy in movies at this point for like 20 years. He was one of the famous, you know, not just nice guys in movies, but nice guys in Westerns. He was always the good guy, always, always the good guy. And here he's a brutal, brutal killer. He plays that. His first scene in the movie, he shoots uh, like a 10-year-old child, you know? And it's like, this is exactly the kind of thing Quentin Tarantino started off doing and has continued to do his entire career, which is like, make a movie in dialogue with other movies and the audience's expectations of movies and to kind of play on that. And, you know, you can see Leone doing this, you know, masterfully in this movie. Mm -hmm. So I read that Leone didn't want to do any more rest Westerns. Yes. Yeah. The next movie he was going to do, he, I think it was called the hoods, but he like just basically put that into a Western because Paramount who paid him nicely for this movie also gave him the opportunity to work with Henry Fonda right, who, yeah. who uh, I read was his favorite actor at the time and Henry Fonda is great in the yeah. movie and this movie I you know I think unusually for spaghetti westerns it actually a big part of it was shot in America yeah. like they went to Utah to the Monument Valley mm-hmm. to sh- shoot like like a jo- fucking John Ford movie you know mm-hmm. they have these beautiful beautiful rock pillars behind them for you know some of the movie mm-hmm. the rest of it was shot in Spain and, and Italy a lot of these are uh I was reading about spaghetti westerns going down that rabbit hole. Uh, spaghetti westerns also referred to sometimes as paella westerns <laughs> because there are a lot yeah, of yeah, so much because well, it was like the closest desert, yeah, I yeah. guess, to Italy. You know. Um, speaking one more thing to Henry Fonda, or multiple things to Henry Fonda. Uh, this was the first time in a western movie where the villain is played by the lead actor. Like oh, he had top billing, and it was. The villain. That's. I mean, that's interesting. And again, you know, very Tarantino, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, to make the most famous person who has the most to do in the movie the bad guy. Yeah. Um, having said all of this, it is like almost unintelligible at times. Like it's very hard to even know what the fuck is going on sometimes. It's very convoluted plot. The dialogue is all dubbed, and the plot line is very convoluted. And you're like, and it follows. It only makes sense, I think, through this lens of like hyper masculine movie logic, which like. You know, somebody's honor is offended, so they have to do something, but it mm-hmm. doesn't like always like strictly make sense. Like, yeah. why are these people fighting each other? And like, who is this? So and the where Charles are Bronson they? And, character you know. who's out for revenge, and we don't know that because they just hold that so close. You literally don't yeah. know it until the last five minutes <laughs> yeah. of the movie. Yeah, um, but it just a guy shrouded in mystery. He has a harmonica with him the whole time, so they just call him harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it is a lot like Kill Bill, right? And the fact that it's like the whole thing is someone out oh, for yeah. revenge, fighting all these people, mm-hmm. and, but we don't really know the details of it until much, much later in the film. So another reason I'm glad with this movie is because I got to keep reading about stuff. Uh, and so to bring this back to the connection with in Hollywood, uh, Charles Bronson uh, was a character 
actor mostly, a very good actor. I, uh, Death Wishes movies is what I knew him from. But before that, in the 50s, uh, he was always in support. Like he was one of the seven in Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. He was one of the dozen in Dirty Dozen. <laughs> <laughs> Never really leading. Uh, like we said, uh, Eastwood was off to this role, but they uh, ended up being Charles Bronson. And he is spooky good in this movie. He's just yeah. uh, kind of scary, but like so gruff. Uh, I think people know him for mostly his voice, uh, which uh, is even the uh, Simpsons sarcastic guy is his voice. Here we are, Branson, Missouri. No, Pally. This is Bronson, Missouri. It's, hey, Pally. Hey, Pally. It's so funny. It's so funny. I actually said this to Catherine because I I know Charles Bronson, but I actually haven't seen any of his movies. <laughs> I hadn't seen Death, Witch, Death Wish, although which there, I was, which there are five of. <laughs> I was aware of them, yeah. but I was like, with the when he first started speaking in this movie, I said, oh, he does sound like they make him sound in The Simpsons. Yeah. Like, he does sound exactly like that. Oh, many times. So this is a, a European movie, and he got a ton of European uh, starring movies after this, and that's why he got on to do a movie like Death Wish. Uh, so like, this is like what happens yeah, to Rick Dalton, Yeah, Rick right? Dalton. Like, he yeah. became a star in Europe and uh, got actually did good work there, and now he became a movie star. Uh, and I read, and this would have been crazy he auditioned for superman <laughs> <laughs> also because he would have been so old by that point yeah, yeah. you mean the tv uh, superman no, or yeah, the, the christopher reeve one yeah oh my god he would have yeah. been like fucking 50 or something <laughs> he also had was offered to work with ingmar bergman uh but this oh is god. his quote uh he didn't want to do it uh he's uh, about ingmar bergman he said everything is weakness and sickness with him <laughs> everything is weakness and sickness with him <laughs> everything is just weakness and sickness with bergman <laughs> Because you run into directors all the time who do not fit the subject that you're shooting. <laughs> me, I'm a strong guy. Uh, but it does make me want to uh, seek out more of Charles Bronson in I general. Mean, well, oh, I thought you were going to say Leone movies. Yeah, no, I, I don't know how much more. If you've seen all the Death Wish movies, I don't know how much there is to consume of Charles Bronson. Oh, I read the uh, Wikipedia pages. Okay, you know but, more yeah. than me. You know well, more than me. I, uh, the score is by Neo Morricone. Uh, his Wikipedia page, uh, you have to go to a separate page just for all the things he's done, and it's way too big. I would venture it's over 400 things he's scored. That's so wild. It is insane. I mean, these big-time movie uh, composers, they can apparently compose a score in the course of one afternoon. So they they can churn out hundreds and hundreds of these things. You know, it's kind of like you make your bones by doing, like, two or three like all-time iconic pieces Mm -hmm. and then you can kind of just do variations on Mm -hmm. those very very easily you know Uh, so he worked with uh tarantino on hateful eight he did uh malik's days of heaven john carpenter's the thing uh he did that movie i just watched the pedro almodovar's tie me up tie me down which i didn't (laughs) realize uh he did bullworth and red sonia oh my (laughs) bullworth uh i think you're confusing him with coolio (laughs) that was praz oh yeah sorry yeah uh, ghetto superstar. Ghetto superstar. Yeah, yeah, my bad. That was. It was uh, makes me sound very ignorant, and I apologize. It was right when the Fugees were. Uh, Lauren Hill came out with her solo stuff. She took off. Yeah. Wyclef had a great solo career, and then Proz came out with songs like, "Oh, all the Fugees are great." But then those other two had sustaining careers, and Proz just said, "This one's right. like." <laughs> but to get back to Morricone, because this score is amazing. Like we said, this movie is very slow. It's about lead up to things. It's about the lead yeah. up before the gun violence. It's all about like looking and tense moments. And that's all handled by uh, the Morricone score. Oh, yeah. Like it's sure. probably, it's like a Western score, but this is like the genesis, the beginning of it. And, and it's absolutely stunning. It made me like 
rethink how I think of scores. <laughs> well, I mean, again, I will say, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly is the one that has the more famous score, maybe. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of shit. But there's like a lot of like that, yeah, rattles and yeah. uh, just really, really amazing stuff. Like, I like, I always t- say the scores that I like a lot are like Johan Johansson scores or uh, Mika Levy's recent work. Mm. Uh, but this shit is just so next level. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a, I mean, he's a true, true master. Good at this. Lord, he is. And this is the like absolute wheelhouse of his work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we were making mouth noises, but we only did about like two seconds of it. He's doing this the entire three, yeah, right for now, three, three hours. fucking hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Kind of just want to re-listen to the uh, Hateful Eight score just to see like, I wonder if he like gave Quentin like full bore if he's like, okay, here's the He just kind of did yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly. I would be interested in that too, actually. Great movie uh it's great i'm really glad we watched it i was kind of hesitant to do it but i'm really glad we did it's a good idea once upon well so speaking of uh being glad you watched it caleb let's say you had to make a choice between these two movies and tell our you, dear viewers you, which is you, the actually you, you, best choice your actually best choice movie i was so certain i was going to go one way with this uh and even during watching the second one i was like oh still very certain and then uh, like once it more clicked I, for are me, you gonna towards, say something wild and crazy towards right now. The end of Into the West, I was like, "This is really, really good," but I'm still gonna not. And I had like a couple of days to think about this. Now, uh, I did flip flop once or twice, but I'm going with Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I gotta, I gotta join you right there, sir. Of course, that's of course that's the correct course. answer. I don't think it's of course. I mean, it's an all-time <laughs> classic film, Once Upon a Time in, in the West. Um, but I would definitely agree with you. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's a fantastic yeah. original film. It, it really a sweet, me. funny movie about a couple of friends that is a little bit menacing and you know a little bit violent here and there. Mm-hmm. But Quentin, um, Quentin showed me some of this movie. Like he still hasn't lost his yeah. movie as he's saying he's, he's slowing down as a director. Different. A guy who's been directing movies for several decades, he manages to do something different and original in this movie. Yeah. And I think that that's like very much worth rewarding. And it's been successful beyond what people expected. Yeah. You know, it was a number two movie last week to what, like Toy Story or something like that. Uh, The Lion. The Lion King, right, King. Right, 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 right. It made like $40 million, which was more than people were expecting. His uh, biggest opening. The biggest opening ever. Ever. Way, way to go, Clint. That's great stuff. And uh, it was a great movie. And I, I recommend it to my mom. I recommend it to all of you. Like, definitely go see Once yeah. Upon a Time in Hollywood. Do you think Hollywood. it has Oscar prospects? Eastky peace speaks? Well, it's tough. Screenplay-wise, he always does get something. Yeah, definitely. It's tough because there is a lot of... I would say the critic class has some problems with the movie. Mm-hmm. So that makes me wonder. But I do think it has some potential. I think, look, I think Brad and Leo both deserve nominations for this movie. Ooh, I, I don't think know they're great. Leo will get it there. Maybe Brad. I, I hope Brad does. Um, uh, yeah, it might be my favorite Brad Pitt movie. Yeah, it might be my favorite Brad Pitt movie. He's uh, fucking amazing in it. Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward. I mean, he's really Robert good. Ford. He's really, he's really good in Number that. one. All right, so that's the show for this week, kiddos. Um, Kiddo. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's fantastic, as always, to get to rap at you. Um, rap at you. It's been a while since I rapped at you. Uh, and you got any other, you got any closing words? Did Cliff kill his wife? Oh, yeah, bum, we forgot bum, to talk bum. about that. We don't have to. It's over. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, goodbye, everybody. Bye, goodbye.
That was a good one.